The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series. PapiChulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CWs, Superman, and Lois. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, Smallville. And Millie Wood. Hello, Smallville. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 12, which was titled Through the Valley of Death and aired July 13th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Lois and John Henry Irons can't seem to agree on the best way to stop Morgan Edge. Meanwhile, Jonathan encourages Jordan to focus on strengthening his powers to help locate their dad. An old friend is brought in to help with the search. Okay, a lot happened in this episode. There was an A plot that spawned many branches. There was a lot going on with the A plot. And then there was the B plot, which was kind of like the Cushing family in Smallville, USA. We're going to start off with the Cushing family, because I thought this storyline took an interesting turn. So, in the previous episode, which felt like it was a hundred years ago, we had a line where Kyle was like, oh, they're going to blame me for everything that happened. We saw that in the previously on. So, clearly, that was going to come up again. And we all sort of agreed that we thought that's where it was going to go, And it did. You know, it starts off with he's going to go back to work, but one of his firefighter people is like, we should probably stay home because everybody's in their feels about exactly what happened and, you know, you being behind it. But the thing that surprised me that I should have seen coming, but I didn't even think about it, was the fact that the town is also blaming Lana. And uh, we saw that in full effect when her friend Emily, that, let's just be real, was like hardcore gunning for that job. That Lana was really trying to covertly persuade not to take the job, but Emily really wanted the job. Emily was like, this is your fault, Lana. Lois does come in and basically says it's not your guys' fault, but when they go home, they find their home vandalized, basically saying, like, leave Smallville and that sort of thing. But this, you know, really um, strengthens the family bond. We even saw the return of the young Cushing girl that we haven't seen probably since episode three. Um, I don't think it's been that long, but um, there was a part of me that was like, are they just going to forget that they have a young daughter? But anywho, let's talk about the Cushings, let's talk about Kyle, let's talk about Lana, let's talk about what they went through in this episode. And I want to start off with you, Millie, because uh, you have not been with us for a moment, and because there was a hiatus, it feels like you haven't been here for a thousand years. So, let's get your take on the Cushings. What did you think of them throughout the episode? 
And with my terrible memory, it feels like very much like a thousand years. But it was, I was surprised. I actually liked this. I, I felt like I'd been a bit not the biggest fan of Kyle. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. I feel like this whole kind of thing, I wouldn't say redeemed him, but it is nice to see them kind of putting them on this path. Um, they all kind of get a little bit ousted or shunned by the town. They do this kind of bonding that way. Um, I, I did. It irked me because I was like, Emily, <laughs> the fact that she was blaming Lana because she definitely it was trying to be a good friend. And then I thought it was just like Edge kind of put her through. But, uh, you know, it's always good to know who, who are your good friends and who are not your good friends. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they blamed them all. But it makes sense because it's like small town. What do you do to explain all these like weird things going on? You just blame I guess, whoever you can be closest to. Um, but hopefully that doesn't you know, last long. And I thought it was interesting that um, they're going this, just in general, this direction, like I said, I'm liking Kyle more, uh, or at least redeeming. So I'm kind of curious where they can go from here now that the main, I think, conflict for Kyle and, and Lana has been resolved, at least for this arc. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it. We have the family united more than ever. Um, and, and, you know, the the family's almost like night and day from uh, how the season started. Professor, your take on the Cushings, Lana, Kyle, everything that they went through on this episode? I thought it was really interestingly and well done uh, overall. I think, you know, th- it's good that there are the consequences, you know, because we talked about Kyle being, you know, sort of the, the rabidly pro-Morgan Edge uh, figure earlier on. And, you know, and, you know... I, even at the time, you know, we, we would often talk about the fact that, you know, they did manage to give him some nuance. You know, there was a certain, to a certain extent, he was like the uh, the small town boy uh, versus the the liberal elites who came into town. Uh, but they always gave him a reason and a justification for it and indicated that he was more than just, you know, a one note character. Uh, and so I think we're getting a payoff of that. We get the sense that, you know. He knows that, you know, something bad happened and he he's obviously not completely responsible for it, but he does bear some responsibility because, you know, he was arguing for Morgan Edge and he feels that responsibility and he wants to step up and make amends. But, you know, it's finding it difficult because of the way that the, uh, you know, the, the people of the town are uh, uh, are rejecting them and, and looking for someone to blame, especially I think you saw that in the case of Val, who, as you said, you know, is someone who, you know, absolutely wanted that job. And I think. If, you know, looking back, I think, uh, you know, um, Lana didn't even put her up for it. She left her out because she didn't want her to be part of it. It was Morgan Edge who just sort of picked her and put her in there because Lana was surprised when she found out that Val had made it. So, you know, uh, I think to a certain extent when you look at, uh, you know, people like Val, I think there might be a sense of shame uh, that, uh, that, you know, they were taken over and what they did when they were in control. I think Val sort of had that, you know, when she was expressing, you know, what they did to, uh, you know, to Lois and, and to Lois's children or how they threatened them. Uh, but I think, you know, for, you know, their family and stuff like that, they're just looking for someone to lash out at. Um, and I think thought we got that, you know, really great, you know, as you said, you know, the fact that, you know, the family has somehow healed. The family is, is better than it was at the beginning of the season. The, um, you know, that, that scene where they're, they're cleaning the paint off. And, you know, uh, you know, when they first show up, you know, Kyle starts to have that angry reaction and Lana talks him down. And then, you know, they're they're just, you know, cleaning it and spraying each other with hoses. And it's, it's this delightful moment of, of catharsis that we have with this family, even as the other main family in the show is having, you know, more serious problems. Uh, so overall, uh, I really liked it. I thought it was it was really interesting uh, that they're spending the time on the consequences of that. 
uh, and letting us relate to that. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, Kyle, who could have so easily, you know, in that first episode have been, you know, a one trick pony, uh, you know, and how many shows would there have been where he was just going to be that, you know, you know, that, that, you know, one note character. Uh, but because they spent the time developing him, developing his relationship with his family, uh, we're really getting the payoff of that now. And, you know, I, I'll admit, you know, I've watched the show twice. And uh, even the second time I was watching, I teared up a little bit during that uh, uh, that scene where they were, you know, uh, cleaning the paint off the front of their house. It's, you know, because we've come to care about the characters. Yeah, I found myself catching the feels a couple times in this episode, and I was like, what the hell is going on with me? There must be, you know, the pollen in the air or something. Um, here's the thing with Kyle, and this is a question I'm going to ask, because I do remember having a conversation about this maybe once or twice. I think it's definitely at least two times. Um, I know it's more than once. Um, throughout uh, this season thus far, you know, we, we've sort of been talking about, you know, could Kyle be a casualty of this season? You know, we were sort of discussing how maybe because, you know, he's going to become powered, maybe he'll, he will end up dying by the end of the season and that sort of thing. I do wonder if they are giving us the calm before a storm. Uh, do we think Kyle could still be, uh, you know, a death this season? Or because he survived the Kryptonian stuff, because they are writing the storyline in a way that is healing sort of like this wound that was there in the Cushing family, do we think this could just be a new Kyle that we're going to have moving forward? I'll just, I'll open it to the floor. I don't know if either of you have any opinions about this. I hope we're not going to lose him, but I think you're right. There, there's an argument to be made that because of the shame that he feels, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, we know there's three more episodes coming um, and that, you know, the army is not leaving anytime soon. And whatever Morgan Edge is planning probably still is, you know, uh, Smallville centered. Uh, does that mean that Kyle will take it upon himself to, you know, make a sacrifice, you know, to try to sacrifice himself, to redeem himself uh, in the face of the town? Um, and if so, what would the consequences be for the Cushing family? Um, I wouldn't want to see that happen, but honestly, it, it does feel like the sort of thing that, that I could see them doing on Superman and Lois. I, I, I don't think this is the sort of show that does pat simple, happy endings. I think there's, there's going to be prices to pay and consequences. Kyle, your days are numbered, apparently. According to the professor, we'll see. Maybe he can do a sacrifice without fully, you know, sacrificing his life maybe you're the one who said it i just said it could be right let's not go saying that i'm calling for the death of kyle okay well, maybe you didn't call but you dialed for it i just pressed you know the final number we'll see um I, it's odd it's gonna be odd for me to say just because I, I did not care for the character at the start of the season but uh i i, I kind of hope he does not die uh i hope that whatever, you know, theorizing that was going on at the start of the season because he was an unlikable character and because I think we all sort of assumed that he would end up becoming powered. Hopefully that sort of uh, gets um, squashed for now and uh, we can enjoy Kyle uh, 2.0. New and improved, uh, better father, better husband, uh, better friend to the Kents. Yeah, and, and it'd be nice for Kyle to stay alive because I feel like at some point... The Kents will share that uh, Clark is Superman. And I want to see Lana and Kyle's reaction to that. So let's hope Kyle doesn't die, at least just for that. 
Okay, so let's move over to the A storyline. A lot happened in this A storyline. And um, the first thing that I want to talk about is uh, the uh, dynamic between the twins, Jonathan and Jordan. We got to see Jordan hone his super hearing to an even greater extent in this episode uh, as Jonathan is sort of his cheerleader by by his side. And uh, they are able to uh, zone in on, um, on Clark, and that's sort of like the first step in trying to rescue Clark. Uh, Professor, talk to me a little bit about the twins and their dynamic. I'm going to talk about uh, Jonathan separately because he does have his own stuff to do but what did you think of them together and how jonathan helped jordan out well it's it's interesting that you know the idea of of using the hearing and you know the the hearing you know an often overlooked one of you know superman's superpowers is one that they have referenced a fair bit this season sort of you know emphasizing it stressing it so that you know it's there uh, so they can call upon it in this situation. I thought it was really interesting because, you know, prior to uh, the twins going off to try to do their, uh, you know, Wonder Twins magic, um, you know, you did have uh, Superman talking to Edge in the cave. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if Jordan could possibly hear that. And in the very next scene, they cut to uh, Lois uh, brushing her hair and she can hear the kids in the next room talking to each other. And I thought to myself, hmm, it does seem like they're setting up the idea of, of sound being the key. Um, I like the fact that you know, it wasn't one of the, the, the splashier powers. Uh, I, I love the fact that it was, uh, you know, Jonathan basically being the one to uh, to big up um, uh, Jordan and persuade him that he could do it. Because uh, Jordan, you know, if if Jonathan hadn't been there, Jordan probably wouldn't have tried it and wouldn't have stuck with it. But it was his brother saying, no, you can do this. You have to do this. Uh, that, that caused him to stick with it. And that look on Jordan's face when he actually heard his father, uh, it was right before commercial break, was spectacular. Just the joy and the sense that, oh, my God, I've done it. Um, especially because, as he made clear when he was talking to Jonathan, he's feeling shame that even though he has the powers and the other two don't, you know, he was totally, you know, he was batted aside like a flea uh, by, uh, by Morgan Edge. So I think that, you know, Jordan was working through a lot and, you know, obviously, you know, the, the powers are still a new thing to him. But I thought it was it was a good use of the power. It was well set up uh, and uh, and the payoff of it, uh, I thought, uh, worked really well uh, while allowing both of the twins to to have agency because there was a real danger, you know, when only Jordan, you know, was developing powers. And, you know, we were talking back then, well, will Jonathan develop a different set of powers and they'll work together uh, in some way. But it does seem they're going more with the dynamic that, you know. You know, one of them has the powers, but the other one still contributes, not unlike, as we've said before, just like Lois can contribute, even though she's married to Superman. Mm-hmm. Jonathan's got that Lois Lane superpower, which we will be talking about uh, in a little bit. But before we get to that, we have to talk about John Henry Irons. So we start off the episode basically where we left off, but from John Henry Irons' POV. So uh, we do see him get the call from Lois, where she's like, you know, it's happening now, Edge, Superman, yada yada. But we pick up the episode just a teeny tiny bit before that, and we see that uh, where um, John Henry Irons had gone you know, when he disappeared a couple of episodes ago, is he's tracking Earth Prime's version... Earth Prime's... Okay. His 
er, oh god, how, I'm trying to word it, but it's going to sound weird the way I'm wording it, so I'm trying to word it in a way that doesn't sound weird. Earth Prime's iteration of his sister. There we go. I think that's the best way to do it. And uh, we, we see her from afar. She's going into her building. And um, basically, you know, we have his AI basically tell him, you know, if you want to make contact, you got to do it now, this, that, or the other. But then the phone call comes in from Lowe. So this is a, uh, a storyline thread that, uh, you know, was paused. And I'm sure we will pick it up later on. Millie. I know there isn't really much to say, but I just, when, as you were watching this, were you excited, curious, intrigued by this? Um, you know, John Henry Irons might have a connection on this Earth. Clearly not an exact connection, but, uh, but maybe, who knows? I mean, there was John Henry Irons on this Earth that died, so it could also be that person's sister, which in essence would be his sister, sort of, you know one or two Earths removed. Uh, what'd you think of this, uh, this storyline? And are you interested to see where it goes? I mean, if it's more reason to keep him around, I'm definitely down for it. And I, I was really intrigued that I assume we had the opening that he was looking for something or doing something related to his daughter. So the, the fact that they're like, oh yeah, he's looking for a sister. I thought was really interesting. Cause like mostly it's been about it. Like, Lois and, and his daughters. So it's nice to add like some more care, like color to the characters. So I'm wondering if that means that he is going to be around longer past the end of the season, or if it's going to be really quick and resolve the next three three episodes. But I feel like it could be uh, planting the seeds for his longer stay, or at least a longer storyline for him, which would be really exciting. Totally, uh, and um, something that I've sort of at least been thinking. That, I mean, I've said it on the podcast. I feel like his daughter is out there. Um, part of me now believes that the daughter that will be out there will be his doppelganger's daughter. And maybe that'll be sort of like, you know, him being able to, to have a father-daughter relationship maybe with her. Uh, Professor, I know you've been someone that's, whenever I mention I think the daughter's out there, you've been like, nope, 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 nope. Um, do you think maybe his doppelganger, Earth Prime daughter, could be out there? Um, well, not the version that we saw, because unless he, you know, had a fling with Lois Lane in the past, the genes don't add up. Well, yeah, that is true. That is true. It wouldn't be the exact thing. But do you think the Earth, he could have a similar relationship with um, Earth Prime's Irons' daughter? Because clearly Earth Prime's Irons is, is dead. Um, it would be really, really tricky because, you know, he's been dead for years and suddenly someone who shows up who looks like him, I'll be with the scar, um, you know, shows up and, hey, I'm, I look like your dad, but I'm not your dad. So that's going to be weird. Uh, and also you're assuming that, uh, Irons had a daughter. We don't know that. True. Um, we know that he has a younger sister. Could the younger sister perhaps be playing, played by the same actress, which would be an interesting uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, realization for, uh, for him to deal with. Although I would think that he would have, you know, you know, seen her on Facebook, looked her up online. So that wouldn't be as much of a surprise as we might think. Um, but yeah, I do think, you know, they, they certainly invested enough in the character. And I think certainly by the end of the episode, he has, uh, he has earned, uh, you know, a bit more of a happy ending. So uh, I'm, I am curious to see where they go with that. Uh, but yeah, if, if he, you know, ends up getting his daughter back somehow, that's just lazy. All right. I do feel like the Superman and Lois writers are not lazy. So, um, I do have hope that he will get his daughter back. But I don't know how they would do it that where it would be believable. 
unless she somehow stowed away on that ship that we saw in this episode. But then again, where where would she be, you know, during all of this? You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. It looks like we might not get the daughter back, which, single teardrop. I want a happy ending for John Henry Irons, and, uh, yeah. So, we'll see what happens. Let's talk about the general in this episode. And I don't want to get into sort of like the intricacies of what happens in later on in the episode because I, I have a specific question about that. But what I really want to focus on is the start of the episode because he arrives, you know, after Superman has left with Edge and he's filling Lois in on, you know, we have footage of them here, but then they disappear and we lose them. And we get a spectacular moment. I mean, it's a sad moment, but it was just beautifully acted from Bitsy Tulloch and beautifully acted from Dylan Walsh as General Sam Lane, where she just breaks down emotionally and, uh, and they embrace. And this is a scene that maybe a couple of episodes ago, I don't know if it would have been as believable, but because the father and daughter have gone through so much in these past couple of episodes, it really pulled at my heartstrings. What about you, Professor? Yeah, it was, it was, it was very moving. And, you know, it was just a very minor thing, but, you know, sort of showing the, the general, you know, he's trying to be all business, but he realizes suddenly that, you know, his, his daughter's in pain and, you know, just the way he reaches out to her, calls her pumpkin uh, and, and gives her that big hug. It was quite moving. Um, you know, later on, I, I did feel like they were, you know, going to the same well of, uh, you're developing uh, weapons to kill my husband. Well, I've got to do this. It's my job. They've done that so many times over the past few episodes that, you know, it did get to be a little tedious to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that uh, opening moment I thought was was really, really good. And, and, you know, sort of establishing, you know, that they have reached a better relationship because, you know, there have been moments over the course of the season where it's, it's waxed and it's waned. Yeah, totally. Well, since you mentioned it, Professor, dig in a little bit deeper with that. So, uh, you know, we did get the the trope that we've gotten from the general where, you know, he does something a little nefarious um, and uh, Lois catches on and she's basically like, you know, you need to think about your family. You know, this could endanger Superman, a.k.a. Clark, a.k.a. her husband. And at the end of it all, when there is a happier resolution, he does have an interesting line because, you know, she was basically like, um, yeah, you're going to say I'm sorry, but, you know, you put the weight of the world and all that kind of stuff. But he, he does give a different answer. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you did. Yeah, it was because, you know, on, on the one hand, it was, um, you know, Lois sort of acknowledging the fact that they've had this discussion so many times uh, and, and, you know, sort of reflecting what I was saying. And so her being able to fill in what she assumes will be his side of the conversation, uh, only to have him say, you know, how proud he is of her for not forgiving up on uh, on Clark and and finding a way through that didn't, you know, uh, require the the weapons. Uh, you know, he stopped short of saying, you know, uh, you were right. I was wrong. Uh, and in fact, I still don't think, you know, the uh, you know, the general was wrong because the fact that Morgan Edge is out there indicates that, you know, the weapons that they had, I, I hope you haven't gotten rid of them yet because I think you're going to need them. Um, but no, it, it did seem to, to give us a, a resolution to that. And it did feel sort of finalized in this situation. I, I don't see it as being a problem going forward. And also the fact that, you know, uh, Clark did start to, to lose control uh, and, and realized that he could be weaponized uh, and in fact called in a weapon to have himself taken out, uh, I think indicates that, you know, even if Lois has a problem with that, I think Clark realizes that, 
there's a need for this now. And earlier in the uh, the season, when he was first finding out about these kryptonite-based weapons, uh, he seemed surprised and hurt by it. But I think now he understands it better. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you on that. Let's talk about John Diggle. So this episode featured David Ramsey, an Arrowverse veteran. He starred on the original series that really birthed the Arrowverse, which was titled Arrow, hence Arrowverse. And uh, we see him, uh, he's brought in because uh, they, the general, the DOD, need help in crafting a weapon that John Henry Irons created with Lex Luthor on his Earth that will uh, basically depower Superman so that Superman can be killed. Um, we, uh, we, we have him come in, he arrives with everything that's needed, uh, we get a shout out to Lila, we also finally get an official, um, bit of sort of, like, roots that, that tie Superman and Lois into the Arrowverse proper. We've been discussing throughout this, this entire season, why don't they reference any of the other shows? Why don't they reference his own cousin, Supergirl, Cara Danvers? And uh, with John Diggle, they referenced uh, Oliver Queen, a.k.a. the Green Arrow. They, he, like, subtly references the other heroes, he talks about working alongside Superman, which fits into um, his experiences in the crossover events that Superman has been featured in the past. So we do get some winks and nods to the greater Arrowverse through Diggle. As far as Diggle the character, um, Diggle has been featured in a couple of the other Arrowverse shows, Batwoman and The Flash, and uh, his storyline on the other two shows have followed along um, a narrative that was introduced at the very end of the Arrow series finale. He ends up finding a mysterious box. It uh, glows green when he opens it, clearly hinting at a Green Lantern connection with Diggle. Um, over on Batwoman, he's having headaches because he uh, doesn't accept, I guess, the offer from the box. And by the end of his Flash appearance, spoiler alert, uh, he basically says, you know, he needs to uh, focus on, you know, the stuff that he's been putting off. In essence, he's probably going to accept whatever the box is, uh, is offering. Now... Over on the Flashcast, I did reference the fact that, you know, even with all these COVID delays and the late starts of the seasons and that sort of thing, it was kind of nice how on Batwoman and on the Flash, you know, it really flowed. Diggle's appearances flowed. They made sense. You could tell that what happened on Batwoman happened before what happened on the Flash. Here's where Superman and Lois's delays kind of add a little wrinkle slash hiccup to the Diggle storyline because this storyline really felt like this was Diggle's first appearance or first this should have been his first reappearance in the Arrowverse because he mentions the line of like you know oh I'm not paying attention to glowing green boxes and this that the other and yada 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 so clearly this should have been the first one Millie you are our Arrow Whisperer you were an Arrow super fan you love that show let's talk about Diggle's appearance What'd you think of him? What'd you think of how they used David Ramsey? Are you much like me, really excited that they somehow used Diggle with his exposition to connect 
Superman and Lois finally to the greater Arrowverse. What'd you think of everything Diggle? Yes, I love Diggle. <laughs> um, I love that we got to see him here and they did use him as the way to, to bring the exhibition, especially because, you know, you can't assume that all the audiences knows or follows the Arrowverse, so it's nice we kind of got that bit to tie it all in because, you know, Superman's been oddly quiet about his cousin. Um, now that you pointed out, I was confused and a little, I think, disappointed on, like, how Diggle was used. Because I was like, well, we already know he had the Batwoman and, and the Flash appearance. And now it just kind of seems like he is just tech delivery right now. And there's no, like, really function for him besides delivering things from Argus. Um, but it makes sense if he was really supposed to, if this episode was to be aired before all the other ones. And this is kind of the, the beginning. Even then, I feel like there could have been more to use with Diggle because I felt like um, it was very brief and maybe I just want more of Diggle but I felt like there wasn't too much like you could take him out and it wouldn't be too much taken away besides the missing Argus tech on that I always forget like how much Argus is in everything and this one felt a bit weird where I guess it makes sense that they would be with the, working at the DOD but at the same time it just felt a little bit of like left field because they haven't really kind of ever mentioned Argus so I think that kind of goes from the show trying to I guess establish itself not really go outside the the greater era verse not mention like the other heroes or like Argus and things so it felt a little disjointed in my opinion but it's Diggle and I do love when um you got kind of that like familiarity when he like sees Lois and things like that so it's nice to know that there is some kind of connection Yeah, I don't disagree with you on your final point about Argus, uh, because they could have mentioned it. Like, they, you know, as we've sort of been, to be quite honest, bitching and griping about throughout the the entire season of Superman and Lois, like, they could have done little exposition-y stuff that tied the show into the greater Arrowverse. Like, they could have just, you know, a line about Argus here and there. And then all of a sudden, like, it seemed like with Diggle in this episode, they were trying to course-correct to, like, the nth degree, and it, it seemed like a lot in this episode. Professor, w- would you agree? Uh, I know I, I know that, well, from my understanding, and Millie can correct me, I don't believe Millie has been watching The Flash this season, so I know that the professor has because we podcast about it. So I want to get your take, especially on the chronology of where this Diggle um, uh, cameo or, or guest star appearance, you know, falls into what we've seen before on Batwoman and the Flash. And what do you think of the series basically course correcting on like all of the uh, Arrowverse connections that they have failed to do, you know, for the past, what is it? This is episode 12 for the, the previous 11 episodes. Yeah, I agree with you that, uh, you know, chronologically this one should have come first especially because john did have the line about you know growing glowing green boxes and i'm not going to have anything to do with that that would set up you know the fact that he's having headaches which is addressed in batwoman and then that could be followed up with him having the really severe headaches obviously forcing him to to make a decision and change something you know after the events of flash that would be the the i, I think probably the correct order uh, as they were envisioned uh, as far as bringing him into the uh, the Arrowverse, it does feel a little like they're they're forcing it. It feels like someone had the idea that, hey, wouldn't it be great if uh, uh, David Ramsey uh, got to appear in uh, in all of the uh, the shows as a little bit of you know Arrow fan service, and so they sort of shoehorned him in here. Uh, it the problem is because you know Superman and Lewis has been kind of off on their own island, as Millie said. You know, with all of this going on, there's only the two Kryptonians left, um, except the one that lives in National City. Uh, you know, her, 
uh, what's up with that? Um, head cannon, all of this is happening while uh, Supergirl is locked in the Phantom Zone. Uh, and by the way, there's another Kryptonian in National City now, too, because they rescued her father. So, uh, you know, we're just lousy with Kryptonians. Uh, but, you know, I think well, it was also, a conscious the decision. The fact that they have Argo up there. You know, there is like a, a, a little meteorite with like an entire city. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. But I think the idea behind Argo is that it, it's far enough away now that, you know, it, I, I think they sort of addressed that, that, you know, it was, you know, to to get to it. Because wasn't it that Superman and Lois were there or something like that? Yeah, um, they could go really before fast. Before they had the twins, though. That was when yeah. they only had one baby. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um but, uh, yeah, actually, that's a good point. If, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, uh, Morgan Edge is, is so obsessed with, you know, restoring Krypton, hey, Go to we should maybe mention the fact that there's this whole city full of people, Kryptonians, you know, you could start with them. Um, but, uh, uh, no, I, I do think it was a little clumsy simply because, you know, as, as you said, they haven't really done much to link the show to uh, the greater Arrowverse, you know, there hasn't been any connection. Hey, cuz what's up or, or, you know, swinging by or, or flying off for big belly burgers or stuff like that. And I think that, that, as I said, you know, back, you know, probably from the first episode, uh, you know, when you raised this as, as something that you had a problem with, you know, my thinking was that, you know, because Superman is, you know, a much more recognizable character, quite frankly, uh, and the Superman Lois, uh, you know, relationship is such that I think they wanted to at least spend that first season doing their own thing, establishing their mythology, not relying or over-relying on the other CW-verse characters. Um, I think that, you know, once they have a season under their belts and they feel a little more comfortable that they've established themselves, then maybe they'll feel a little more comfortable uh, doing that, you know, having crossovers or or at least references. But, you know, a lot of it, too, is that they're, you know, a lot of the references would have felt a little shoehorned in. I think you can get away with it if you're talking about Flash, where, you know, uh, you know, you've got the team of people who can reference the other people because they all know them. But what situation would have, you know, Lois and Clark talking about the Flash or Lois and Clark talking about Batwoman? It would have I think it would have felt a little artificial. And I think because they're trying to do a very grounded such as it is uh show a very real world small town feel to it i think that probably explains why they haven't done a lot of that and honestly i don't think the diggle i think you know if they hadn't sort of made the commitment they were going to do that i think you could have cut diggle out of this episode completely and there would have been no difference true true you just would have had just would have had the device show up it wouldn't have had to come from argus um, uh, I think it was kind of wasted. I think, you know, it was sort of like we're doing this thing, you know, with, uh, with Dave Ramsey. And I think it was just kind of wasted. It was kind of neat having someone being able to talk to the general kind of on a one-on-one level, uh, you know, which, uh, which is novel. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, it, yeah, it, it didn't really add too much to the show. I didn't think. Yeah. Which was a little disappointing. Although uh, you mean, you make a great point, professor, you know, cause they were on the same, they are basically on the same power level. So that was kind of nice, basically Diggle chastising the general. You know, you're using us, you used Lila. Like, I did like all the shout-outs. You know, as someone that has watched all of the shows, it made sense. Um, you know, everything made sense. I do wonder, for those that have watched the show, because it's Superman and because they love the Superman mythos, if any of it made sense to them. You know, it was just a whole bunch of names. I mean, because they didn't even say Oliver Queen. It was just Oliver and Lila and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what people are thinking. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it was David Ramsey. He was fantastic in it because it's David Ramsey. 
the connective tissues were interesting. I wonder if they're going to expand that a little bit more. I think one of the ways, uh, Professor, because you were like, I wonder how they would, you know, talk about some of these other heroes. They have kids, and you would think they would be like some of the other younger cast members on other shows. You'd think they'd be excited about the heroes. Like, oh my god, you know, I, I'm just now thinking about it, but you've teamed up with The Flash? You've teamed up with so-and-so? Like, I think the kids, they could have done something with them. Um, but they didn't. So it would be kind of strange, I think, now to do it with them. Um, may, maybe the I only person... That would be an option if, mm-hmm. if the parenting question wasn't Superman. Because, you know, so if you were The Flash and you had teamed up with Superman, your kid would be going, wow, you teamed up with Superman. But if your dad is Superman... Fuck all those other people that you're teaming I guess up with. That the is question true. would be, why'd you bother wasting your time with those second raiders? That is true. That is true. Oh, you know Batwoman? Big freaking whoop. Yeah. Unless they had made one of the twins like really jaded and like sort of like unimpressed that Clark ended up being Superman. Um and, and you know, they would have been like Team Flash all along or something like that. Like that could have been a fun little dynamic, you know, you know, the young teen sort of like consistently throwing shade at Clark for being Superman, like, oh, well, you're not the flesh or something. They could have done that, but that would have been something that they would have had to have introduced way early on and, and they would have done that. But um but they didn't, so I guess. Moving right along. We get in this episode, we're going to shift the focus on um, John Henry Irons now. We get in this episode the continuation of a tiny flashback that we saw many episodes ago. Um, it's a John Henry Irons flashback to his Earth. And, and I remember when we talked about it originally, I was like, I, I feel like we're going to have to get the answer to what happens after this. You know, it was a moment with John Henry Irons up in space. He's on a ship. Um, he's with, uh, the dark Superman and, uh, you know, it looks like he, like, it looks like Superman's about to get him and, uh, but we know that he had a weapon that's supposed to take him out and that sort of thing. And we find out that when he went up into space with this weapon that he had created with Lex Luthor that was supposed to, uh, depower the evil Superman and was going to allow, uh, um, irons to kill the evil superman he ended up making his way to earth prime whether we get an explanation to how that happened wormhole or an or crisis or anything i don't know just because we haven't really mentioned crisis and i was i was ecstatic though when diggle was like oh you're from another planet doppelgangers and all this kind of stuff i like that he mentioned that um, so, so we got a little bit more context into that flashback in this episode, and we get a lot of John Henry Irons in this episode, and he's hell-bent on taking Superman down because of what happened on his Earth, and in a way to, um, in, in well, Lois ends up doing this as a means to try to convince John Henry Irons to uh, have some compassion, some hope, some belief that uh, Superman can be brought back from the brink of um, eradication. Uh, she ends up telling Irons that she, Lois Lane of Earth Prime, is married to Superman. She has kids with Superman. Superman has a family. Clark Kent is Superman. And because 
Superman has a family. That's sort of like the different factor. That's the X factor on this Earth that's different from uh, Irons' Earth. And that's what will get Superman through uh, this eradication process that Edge is trying to put him through. Millie. Let's talk about this. Were you surprised that Lois uh, Lois told him the truth? Were you impressed? Because you were like, okay, maybe this will be a way to convince him. Uh, fun fact, it does not convince him. He was basically like, you know, you can tell me anything, um, but it's not going to change my mind. Uh, what did you think of, uh, of this moment between uh, Lois and Irons? I was surprised that she told him because I felt they were they kind of kept that they were gonna the plan was to keep that kind of to themselves. So, um, but it makes sense that like you know desperate times calls for desperate measures. Um, and I thought it was you know a really good plea, definitely pull that my heartstrings. The fact that he was like very stone cold, like I have to do it, I don't care. Um, I was like, ow, that's harsh. But I also get it. Like he carries a lot of I think like fear and tragic from his own kind of timeline so it makes sense that he's uh doesn't kind of fold to that but conversely you would think that if you're i guess the doppelganger of your dead wife would plead you would be a little bit softer but um you know maybe it's it's he needs some character development there but overall it was a really touching like interaction i thought that bitch did a great job um in that scene yeah, what's fascinating about Irons and the way that they've written him and also the way that Willie Parks plays him is I find him incredibly sympathetic, even though he's talking about killing Superman. Like, I fully understand his POV as a character, and it makes sense. You know, it completely makes sense up to the point where, you know, he sort of changes his mind in this episode. All of it felt real and organic for me. I'm like, okay, I completely buy your point of view. I don't see him as a villain. A lot of people on the internet are like, oh, he's a villain, he's an antagonist. I don't see him as that. Like, I see him as a man that experienced a horrible tragedy on his earth. He watched his wife die on live television. He, um, you know, he thinks, for all he knows, his daughter is dead too. He is on a brand new planet, and he's trying to help that planet, his new home, uh, from going down the horrible path of his own planet. So I completely understand where he's coming from, and and his reaction throughout the entire episode made complete sense to me. Uh, Professor, this is just a tiny question, because we are going to continue with Irons, but um, the fact that the eradication process, once it clicked for Superman, were, did it just make you sort of you know, smile that it was General Zod. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a little tired of Zod, but it did make perfect sense, you know, uh, for for that to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I get also to a certain extent, you know, it is sort of the the one Kryptonian name they could pull out, you know, thanks to Neil before Zod, that uh, that the casual viewer might recognize. Um, just. So, you know, uh, I, I did want to, you know, uh, much as I loved, you know, Bitsitelic's performance, I thought she uh, w- was absolutely fabulous. And they did the whole thing in like just one long take of her, you know, uh, confessing it. Um, if we get down to her basic fundamental argument it's here, it's that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, Superman won't turn evil because he's married to me and I'm Lois motherfucking Lane, y'all. Um, <laughs> wow. Egotistical much? You're funny. Having said that. 
Bitsy Tullock did play it beautifully. And as it turns out, she was right. That, that did do the job. So, wow, Lois Lane. I know she's got that good good, you know. Yeah, she, she's she got her Superman. And, yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, so continuing on with Irons. Uh, so I mentioned Jonathan earlier, and I said that we were going to talk about him again. And we're going to talk about him right now. Um, Jonathan used his superpower in this episode. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's a talk no jitsu because I don't feel like it was a talk no jitsu in what we considered a, a talk no jitsu to be, but he ended up uh, going to Irons and uh, they get into a conversation where, you know, he uses all of the knowledge that he got from Irons' um, RV where he saw everything that happened on Irons' Earth, how, uh, you know, his Lois died, about his daughter Natalie, about the type of man that Irons is. And uh, he's like, you know, I look like you're a good dad. My dad's a good dad, too. Uh, and uh, I, some of that, I think, really is what, what, what hits Irons. Because at the end of it all, Irons does make the right decision. You know, he ends up uh, confronting the eradicated Superman, the General Zod-possessed uh, Superman, and, uh, you know, there's a moment where, it, you know, Superman does hear that Irons is talking to Lois, and Lois is pleading, you know, talk to him, you know, he's not, you know, far gone, like, you can get to him, you can reach to him, and uh, Irons does sort of like a talk no jitsu, and it does work. Uh, Professor, talk to me about Irons, his dynamic with the young Kent and uh, with the older Kent. Well, uh, you know, uh, again, really good. You know, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Wally Parks has played the uh, the character so interestingly that even though he is uh, an antagonist to Superman, certainly has been, you know, uh, tried to bash the hell out of him on at least one occasion. Um, you know, because they gave him a reason, a backstory, and because you know the actor playing him has done him, you know, has done it in such a, a sympathetic uh, and empathetic way. I think we can, you know, appreciate what he's doing or, you know, appreciate his motivations, even if we don't necessarily agree with him. And of course, we're looking at it from the point of view of this is our Superman. And, you know, as Lois would say, he's not going to do that. Uh, but, you know, uh, he's coming from a different perspective. That's why I love the fact that when Lois broke down after that incredible scene and, you know, revealed the secret that she, you know, wouldn't reveal, you know, you could put a gun to her head and she wouldn't reveal it. Um, he basically says, doesn't make a bit of difference. And even when Jonathan does it, it's still, hey, you know, nice talk, kid, but I still have to do what I have to do. But they did have an effect. You know, neither of them convinced him. You know, he had to, you know, see Clark himself and it had to ultimately be Clark saying, kill me, take me out. I, I can't be trusted. I have to be destroyed. Uh, but, you know, I think their their conversation with him and I think it did take both of them. It wasn't that one did the job and the other didn't. Uh, it was that both of them, you know, sort of went to bat and, and made the argument for, you know, uh, why Superman was not beyond saving. Uh, and then, you know, it, it did lead to a great payoff, you know, for him to basically, you know, it's 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 interesting because, you know, sympathetic and interesting he is his motivation you know for the entire season has been one thing revenge kill superman revenge kill superman revenge kill superman okay not today maybe but tomorrow revenge kill superman revenge kill superman so for him to get to that stage where he you know has him in his sights has the weapon point right at him uh and you know instead does as you say a talk no jitsu you know gets him to to 
you know, get Superman to save himself by persuading him to fight, by, you know, telling him what his family said, by, uh, you know, uh, getting him to fight back. You know, what a, you know, uh, a depth of character uh, for John Henry Irons to be able to put aside his rage and his hatred. The thing that has driven him to travel between worlds and and do all that he's done and, and sacrifice everything that he's lost, um, you know, to put that aside, uh, to to save you know, in a very real sense, his greatest enemy, uh, you know, uh, you know, partially because of, you know, what those two people said to him, uh, you know, Willie Parks really did a great job uh, of playing that. And, you know, uh, just so I don't forget mentioning it, um, you know, at the very end of the episode, when Willie Parks shows up and he's talking with the family, he's a completely changed man. You know, the, you know, and again, this is, this is just the great acting, which is that the weight that he's been carrying, the rage, mm-hmm. the hatred towards Superman is gone at the end. And you can absolutely see it in every move, every look on his face. Uh, you know, Wally Parks is playing John Henry Irons completely differently because he's no longer dealing uh, with that pain that he's been carrying. And when he says to, to Clark, you know, the pain you're dealing with now, it's nothing compared to, you know, the pain that you will deal with if, if you go through with that. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, some, you know, a character that could have been, you know, as I was saying with Kyle, you know, it's so easy when you're dealing with an antagonist, a villain to, to make them a little two dimensional, a little cardboard cutout. You know, they spent the time invested in his backstory, uh, you know, made him much more interesting than, you know, maybe with uh, the time he doesn't have to be that interesting. But he's just going to be a generic bad guy. He wasn't a generic bad guy. And here's where we got the character payoff for that. Uh, and how satisfying was it that, you know, it, it's like a Lex Luthor saving Superman uh, or helping Superman to save himself. Uh, yeah, just uh, really uh really well structured to have, you know, both of the family, you know, talk to him, persuade him, uh, the two people without powers, you know, but their power was, you know, their ability to reach out to him and get, and get him to do the right thing. Uh, just beautifully done. 100%. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that final scene with irons. I don't think it's the final scene of irons period, but the final scene in this episode with him, because Wally parks was incredibly lighter in that moment. And uh, it was like a brand new irons. Um, and, and I, I was here for it. I, I loved it. Uh, Millie, I want to get your take on Irons as well, uh, on the climax of the episode with uh, Irons fighting a uh, Zod consciousness-filled Superman, the fact that, you know, when when um, Superman heard Lois's voice, you know, he was able to snap out of it, and, um, you know, and, and, and Irons could see a Superman for the man that he is, you know, willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good and, and sort of that moment, plus everything that Lois said, everything that Jonathan said, you know, really sort of clicked and he realized this is a different Superman. What'd you think of, of how, uh, uh, you know, sort of like the eradicated Superman was dealt with and, uh, how, uh, irons was used throughout the entire episode. Um, I did laugh a bit with the way that, I guess, eradicated Superman was dealt with. It was a little bit like you mentioned, uh, the Takno Jitsu. Um, but for it to come from Irons, I thought was really big. And it really shows, like, his part, I think, in, in the arc. And I'm really enjoying his character in general, as kind of mentioned. Um, and it makes sense that it takes him to see, because he seems like the guy that has to, like, see to believe. So it makes sense that, like, he puts in the back of his mind what Jonathan and, and what Lois said to him, but to see Superman and really see that uh, change in him, uh, that's what kind of clicks for him. Um, and I, I agree with both of you guys in terms of, like, at the end, um, we see a whole different irons. I feel like it's setting up for maybe the next journey of seeing his sister. Um, and overall, I think it was a nice resolution to this part of his story. I know we kind of talked about 
at the beginning, like, oh, how are they going to use him? Is he going to become an ally? And I feel like this even sets up further for him to maybe come back or at least be a sidekick uh, for them occasionally, especially with that awesome suit that he was sporting. Um, I think that would be really fun to see. And also, I really did enjoy that Jonathan had a conversation with him as well. I like how he's developing his own uh, skill at pep talks very early on in his life. So I feel like, you know, by the time he's older, he's going to be like super dangerous with the words. I know. Right. I love irons suit as well. Uh, I mean, it could easily just be, you know, sort of like generic robotic armor and that sort of thing, but I think it's cool looking. Uh, they've um, certainly put the money into it so that it looks very real and and almost practical, even though it's, you know, it's a giant suit of armor. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't look too cartoony. So I like that um, the VFX budget is sort of really put into that. Okay, so we get, it, it appears to be an end to Morgan Edge. Uh, Morgan Edge and uh, Emperor Palpatine, a.k.a. Zeta Rowe, uh, are together, and they're sort of overhearing, I guess, the entire fight between Superman and Irons. Um, instead of uh, Edge uh, sort of swooping down and taking them both on, he uh, flees. Uh, although Zetoro is like, well, now that we've lost him, you know what to do. And so he swipes the Eradicator crystal thingy and uh, flies away. We have Superman and uh, Steel, you know, right on his tail, and he uh, swoops up into the sky, into space, and uh, Steel, you know, he's got his, uh, you know, target on him so that he can shoot the um, the thing that he got from Argus, the uh, Red Sun solar missile, so that they can kill um, uh, Tauro. And uh, all of a sudden, he does sort of what Clark had done um, a couple episodes ago. Or was it the previous episode? Um, the hiatus makes it all confusing. I think it was just the last episode, yes. Uh, where he solar flares the um, crystal. And uh, he gets captured because he falls back down to the Earth. And it looks like the DOD, well, it doesn't look like we see. You know, the DOD ends up having him in custody in that little room that, uh, that Kyle, when he was eradicated, was in. We do see a couple little twitches of different colors pop into his eyes. And he's got a little smirk. So clearly uh, this was uh, Hologram Papa's um, big... Uh, uh, plan B, you know, just in case they couldn't use Superman. So, what does this mean? What's going to happen? I do remember reading in an interview with the actor that plays uh, Morgan Edge, I think I might have said this even in the previous podcast, that he says that as the season progressed, you know, as it heads to its, the, the season finale, there would be a lot of false climaxes, and uh, this was clearly one of them, because that smirk says it all. Uh, what do we think is going to happen? Um, clearly, Morgan Edge will be a problem until he's eradicated, and I mean that in, like, the literal sense, as in, you know, he gets murked. Um, yeah, I don't think a talk no is gonna, you know... Uh, stop Morgan Edge, especially since he says he can feel he can no longer feel pain. 
yeah, where do we think this goes? Millie, uh, do you have any theories, any ideas? Well, as soon as they said that he is, like, in protection at the DOD and maybe it's from the other Arrowverse shows, I was like, he's going to get out. I don't know. I feel like they don't know how to secure criminals or bad aliens. Uh, so I definitely feel like he's going to somehow escape and then just wreak havoc and find another way to get his uh, army of Kryptonians back. Okay. Well, I hope that, that the last thing you said does not happen, because I don't want to see another army of Kryptonians. But, um, but, yeah, I do feel like he clearly will be escaping. Uh, yeah. Uh, Professor Morgan Edge... Um, he was hit with the missile, he fell back down to Earth, and he was captured. Uh, clearly, he's just going to spend the rest of his life rotting in, at the DoD, right? He won't break out and wreak havoc and all that kind of stuff. Oh, obviously. Um, it's, it's not like we have multiple episodes uh, of the season left, and it's not like the last one is called Two Sons of Krypton. Um, uh, my thinking is that, uh, and it was interesting, when he was talking with his father, uh, and they were trying to, uh, to turn uh, Superman, uh, it, it was clear that that was Morgan Edge's uh, you know, uh, plot, and not his father's. And, and when it failed, his father said, now you have to do what you should have done in the first place. So I think what he had to do, you know, Morgan Edge by, you know, basically, you know, solar flaring the, uh, the eradicator, I think he's just absorbed all the consciousnesses that were in it. All the Kryptonian mm-hmm. consciousnesses are now within him. Um, so like when you see him sitting in the, uh, the green thing before his eyes sort of flash, you hear those murmuring voices, voices, almost like a conversation going on. So I think that that's what's going on now. So what he's going to do is once he inevitably escapes, um, there's going to be something involving, you know, him heat blasting the, uh, the, the X kryptonite, uh, and, and finding a way to, uh, to transfer. Cause you know, one you know, the question that occurred to me as I was watching this was, what was the deal with Trip? Remember how Trip got his powers? And we were saying, well, it must just have been that, you know, um, you know, he was exposed to the ex-Kryptonite, except that we've now learned that it's the ex-Kryptonite allows you to transfer a Kryptonian consciousness. So what's up with Trip? Is, is Trip got a Kryptonian consciousness in him? Did Jordan somehow accidentally do that? And is that going to be like a huge, you know, a thing that we're going to realize after the fact that maybe all you need is, you know, some extra kryptonite in your heat vision uh, to do it on a one by one basis or something like that. But I think the fact that, you know, you did have uh, Sam Lane when he was talking to Lois uh, and Clark at the end of it saying, yeah, we should be out of your hair in a, a few days. That means the DOD is still in town. Uh, you know, Morgan Edge is still in town. So whatever's going to happen is still going to happen in Smallville. Uh, and, you know, they're just setting up for that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, very good point. Um, I, I think his name was Tag, though. But I know what you were saying. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. Because, uh, what was it? So it was, because they were over the mines. And so maybe the ex-Kryptonite in whatever, because there was the heat from the heat vision that um, that, that uh, Jordan you know, he had that accident with the with the heat vision. Maybe with the heat and the X kryptonite, something can happen where it turns almost like a gas or a vapor, and that leads to powers being created. Um, I do hope that we get an answer to Tag's powers, because clearly he wasn't possessed by a Kryptonian. So does he have, like, full Kryptonian powers, or is he just powered in a different way we never got the answers to that so maybe i'm wondering whether there might be two things going on here which mm-hmm. is that on the one level it's the ex kryptonite that is being used to give people kryptonian level powers and on the other it's the eradicator that's giving them consciousness because if you just gave them the consciousness without the powers 
you're basically weak. And also, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to uh, to overpower uh, the people. So maybe we what we've been sort of assuming is a one step process is actually two distinct things happening. And again, that could be a hint that's been sitting there pretty much since the beginning of the season. Yeah, I agree with you on that, because I do feel like he has all the power, not all the powers, he has all the people inside of him, uh, which is very strange, so, like, I I wonder how they're going to properly explain that he can give, he can possess people with it, like, is he going to use his heat vision to, like, possess people? Um, I don't want the formerly possessed to get possessed again, but now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like he's going to somehow use something to get, like, Kyle, Emily, et al., possessed again which um yeah I, I feel like that that could be the way that they go um i don't know we'll have to wait and see uh but uh yeah him being possessed by all the kryptonians i wonder how many are you know up in his mind uh, that's gonna drive him mad which uh a crazy uh talro uh, morgan edge might be kind of interesting to see at least, you know, if, if this is his final hurrah, his final shebang, he's going to go out with guns blazing. Okay, so was there anything that I missed? A teeny tiny little moment? Uh, I should say the Kents are going to have a nice little takeout-ified dinner. Um, yeah, and so they get a little happy ending for the moment. Uh, anything else that I uh, missed? One- one little thing that was sort of, you know, explaining something that we questioned before and, and we got the uh, the payoff to that, um, you know, in the previous episode, however many months ago that was, uh, where, you know, uh, Clark was being, you know, zapped and put under pain. And, and we thought it was just sort of like a, uh, you know, conditioning thing, like, you know, the pain was going to cause him to turn on his family. And, and we were saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. Superman would never do that. It turns out we found out in this episode that the pain was just the side effect of having Zod's consciousness. Uh, you know, uh, being drilled into it. So, uh, yeah, I think maybe they could have explained that a little better at the time, but I think they wanted to have the big Zod reveal in this episode. So uh, I think it is important to establish that it wasn't ever that, you know, you know, you could, you know, stick a bamboo shoot under Superman's fingers and he'd turn on his family or anything like that. This was, you know, the pain was a side effect rather than what they were intentionally doing. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm glad that we got the answer to that in this episode. So now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP and why? Gotta be Bissy Tulloch. I mean, she just knocked it out of the park. Uh, you know, who would have thought that the words, hey, yourself, would have been the, the most romantic words you would hear on American broadcast television in a given week? Um, everything she did was, uh, was fantastic. She was, was marvelous in that scene with, uh, with John Henry, uh, the scene, uh, you know, uh, when she's talking to them, the only flaw I have, and this is just, uh, I should have mentioned this in, you know, uh, Easter eggs and stuff like that. They did do one blatant cheat that I didn't catch the first time, which is that after, uh, Morgan Edge comes crashing down to earth and he's talking to Superman, you know, you should have joined me, da, 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 and Superman just hauls off and punches him and you cut away to, uh, Superman, to, uh, Lois giving her, uh, her father that look of, you see what my man did. There's no way they could have known that happened. There was no microphone. There was no camera and John Irons didn't land until the next scene. So they have no way of knowing what happened there, but you know, it, it was such a great scene that, yeah, again, and on first viewing, I didn't realize that it, it was a great payoff, but on second viewing it was like, you know, unless they crashed right outside your window, you have no idea what just happened. Okay. 
But that's another reason why I picked Lois Lane, because she somehow knew how amazing and magical is Lois Lane. Well, yes, of course. Millie, your MVP and why? I think I'll have to give it to John Henry Irons. Irons. Um, he, like, I feel like even though he had some really great moments with Lois and Jonathan, um, and also talking down Superman, but I also like, in, in general, uh, Wole Park's uh, performance, just the physical part. Like we mentioned at the end, you could just tell he carries himself differently. It's just all the kind of small details that really rounds out his whole story um, for that. So it's really fun to watch, and it was surprising. Like, I, I enjoy his character a lot, and I'm curious to see where his stories can go now. I dislike you at this moment, Millie Wood. But you actually, you represented him well, but I still, I dislike you, at least for the next five seconds. Yes, it wore off. All right, but I do have a great backup. Uh, I'm going to give it to Jonathan. I loved him in this episode. Just such a fantastic character, incredibly mature. I loved that he was there for his brother. I loved that, uh, you know, I loved his talk with with, um, Irons. I just am really enjoying what they're doing with the character. You know, he might not have super abilities, but man, does he know how to communicate. And uh, I I don't know if they're going to eventually get him into journalism and that sort of thing. So he really becomes like a mini Lois Lane. But uh, what they're doing with him now is absolutely fantastic. Uh, He's really becoming like the heart of the show. And uh, I'm here for it. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude. Professor, how would you rate this episode? Uh, I am archiving it. Uh, I thought this was an amazing episode. We got so much character payoff, uh, and it didn't feel rushed, even with everything that was happening. We even had time, you know, for the uh, the delightful, you know, moment with the Cushing family uh, of them bonding and healing after everything they've gone through. Even if, as Jeff says, that probably means that something very, very bad is going to happen to them. And <laughs> I'm sadly convinced that he's right now. Oh, wow. uh, but man, you know, uh, again, the the investment they put in the characters, the payoff that we got. Uh, There was some great spectacle, yes, but ultimately it was emotion. It was talking, not punching, uh, that that changed the day. And uh, I find that very satisfying when I see it on one of these shows. It's interesting, Professor, because we've been talking very positively about the Cushing storyline. A lot of people online did not like it. They were like, it is too jarring. We get the action and then we get the boring Cushings. I'm like, do y'all not have a heart? Jaded internet people. Yes, I'm talking to y'all. Speaking of a jaded internet person, <laughs> that was a good segue, right, Professor? Okay. Well, j- oh, brilliant. Okay, good. <laughs> Millie Wood, my jaded internet person. How would you rate this episode? You know, I would refute that, but my comment coming next would definitely be not in line with that comment. So, um, oh. I overall, I thought it was a solid episode. It's funny, Professor said he felt like it wasn't rushed. I felt like it was a little rushed, and, and there was a lot of plot points moving. I, I got a little confusing to keep it all straight in my mind. That could just be a personal problem. But for me, I got a little lost occasionally. Um, but I really did enjoy the character beats, and I was sad about the, I think, lack of how they could have used John Diggle. Um, so overall, because of all those points, I'll have to get 8.7 red capes. 
Okay. So she proved me right, jaded in a person. But I like it. I live your truth. Uh, that's all I will say. And I will live mine. I will uh, archive it in the Fortress of Solitude. It was really good. It's a very rewatchable episode. It felt like a season finale. Um, I did not find it too rushed. Uh, I thought it, it, the, the beats hit at the appropriate time. Um, yeah, it, it was Fantastic. A, a really great episode of Superman and Lois. Thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. And uh, everyone, uh, especially our three MVPs, and I'll throw in uh, Clark, uh, Superman. Uh, I thought Tyler Hecklin did a fantastic job as well, including the, the three MVPs that we, that we chose. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. And the professor. Good night, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Radio Archives. Good night.